Welcome to another episode of the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross. I'm Chris Johnson. And I'm Chris number two. Glad you're with us. Good to be here. So today we're going to be reviewing some of the, the classes that we've had the past week, two weeks. Uh, before we do that, we're going to forego the uh, normal 30, 60, 90 and just talk about, hey, Mother's Day's coming up. And what better way to say I love you to your mom or your spouse or your significant other or whoever than to sign them up for a class. Specifically, though, for women, we have this coming Friday, May 7th, we have the four women choosing the right pistol. So this is a good opportunity for you to uh, have that, that woman in your life who she needs a pistol, she needs to, but she doesn't know what to use. She doesn't know what to get. And you don't want to walk into a gun shop, which I've, I've seen. Oh, you're a woman? Here, this revolver's for you. Oh, you're a woman? Here, this little tiny pink pistol is the one for you. Uh, this class, actually, we have multiple uh, uh, samples and examples, and uh, it's only women there. It's going to be run by Abby. And she'll talk about how they work, how they function, and then get them in, in the hands of uh, the women who are attending. So it's a great opportunity, you know, that's low pressure and, you know, nothing crazy, just to have the women come and handle and, and see these different firearms and try to figure out which one might work best for them. And it's someone other than you talking about <laughs> how they need to have a firearm. What, what were you just saying about that, it, that, that it, 72-hour kit class? It's, you know, my wife, I've been saying these things about oh, we should build these bags, we should have this set up this way for years. And it's always the same thing coming from me. The moment Jared starts talking about it, she starts taking notes. That's right. It's, it's the same thing I say all the time. Yeah, but, but, but hearing that same thing from somebody else, is for, it, yeah, yep. for whatever reason. It makes a difference, and especially coming from a woman. That, that is a big help. So where Abby does this, she carries every day, and she has gone through the whole gamut of what's the right pistol to carry. Um, she has a lot of knowledge, and yeah. she wants to share it. And then also coming up June 26th, again, it's another four-women class. This is a EDC, or Everyday Carry. So again, Abby will be presenting all kinds of information and personal experience from being a woman, from being a mother, uh, with little kids, big kids, and the things that she carries, the ways that she has carried in the past, and not just firearms, but uh, you know, other items and stuff, too help be well-rounded with that, that EDC. So again, both of those, um, they're up on the website and they are designed for women, just for women, and uh, none of us men there. All right. So first let's start off with, uh, let's start with, with the review of the SUT class. So we just ran our small unit tactics class, uh, basics of, of patrolling. And that was, it's a three days, two nights, and that was, uh, that went off better than, uh, I mean, I knew it was going to be a good class, but man, it, it, that was phenomenal. We had phenomenal people. And he, in general, we have great students. We had some of the best show up yeah. uh, to that class. I, yeah. It just, it was great to see the, those of you that were there. So tell me, is that your third or fourth monster of the day? Well, since I am back here and I'm off the mountain, it is only number two. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I, I lost count at one point uh, yeah. how many monsters I was drinking up there. Um, student, well, well the, I, I did find close to your tent. It looked like an old discarded, uh, you know, surgical tubing in, in a needle where you, you know, just, just straight, just take straight, it right straight into the, the vein. vein. Uh -huh. yeah, you know, I need that B12, man. Got to get that B12. <laughs> 
I think so, you were on number four before noon that one day. Yeah, yes, I, I think I was. That, that, yes. that has to be good for your heart. It's phenomenal for my heart. Now, yeah. if it was a go fast, you know, you might have been able to go faster, and mm. you know, that would have been better for you than a monster. But possibly, possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> back to what you're saying. Back to what I was saying. Yeah. So we have great, great students, and the people that came out, man, they pushed themselves. Yeah, they did. We're talking little sleep, cold, hot. I mean, rain. Rain. Everyone jokes about, hey, central Pennsylvania, it's wonderful. You can have all four seasons in a day. <laughs> we I, literally did. I saw it. I saw it out there. Um, one night we were there this weekend, we had sleet. Yeah. And it was, unfortunately, it was too dark to actually take pictures of it because we would have grabbed some pictures because that afternoon we had crazy winds. Crazy sleet, rain, next morning, gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. But the students, man, they just push themselves. Well, what's nice, too, about the students in this type of class is all the different backgrounds. You know, there wasn't, like, one type, uh, you know, but that's one of the nice things about our open enrollment classes is you have law enforcement. You have, like, contractors as in construction yeah, contractors, you know, uh, you we, know we IT people. One, we only had the one guy that had a military background. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, this was a new concept to them. And it was a refresher for the, the individual that had the military background. Yeah. And it was a refresher working with his friends and seeing, you know, how to do this in a, a different manner. Yeah. Um, I think we did a really good job of breaking down some really complicated things into that condensed time frame. When we try to do these classes... SUT for us in the Q course is five weeks, five to six weeks. Yeah. Well, we're not doing a five week, you know, they're clearly not getting what what we got. And we couldn't do that. Yeah. And people don't have that kind of time. And, and the reality is, you know, we're not, we're not teaching them how to be green berets. We're taking this model and and we're taking this experience and turning it all into, uh, to leadership. How to be a you know, how to be a good follower, how to be a good leader, um, how to how to take charge. You have got tough decisions you need to make, and then we kept trying to push and then also apply those principles and those truths to these students, um, so that they could take it back to to their home, yeah. so they could take take it back you know as being a, a husband or a father or or to their workplace and and from the lessons that they learned, um, they became you know better. One of the difficult things that we had when we put them in the rest overnight, the Ron site, yeah, uh, we took the youngest guy that was out there, the guy that had the least experience. And put him in charge. And he was in charge. Yep. And you saw it where the guys that had experience, and they wanted to take over, but they couldn't. Yep. So they had to find the ways of mentoring quietly and letting that guy learn, letting that guy lead. It was a benefit for both people. Because those that had the experience, they found creative ways of not, you know, taking taking the reins. Uh, because we all have that. We all have that when we interact with people in our social circles, at, at our jobs, um, where we're not in charge. But we possibly know how to do something better. We have to be able to communicate that in a way that we don't undermine that person who's in that authority yeah, position. Yeah. Exactly. And that was great. That was a huge, you know, benefit to everyone involved. And then that young man, you know, how awesome was that, that he was able to lead that patrol and take care of those guys. 
Well, it was pouring down rain. <laughs> I mean, that was some some sideways uh-huh. rain. Yeah, it was. That was great. Well, let's let's go through a rough timeline. So we received all the students. Um, we, we met at that Walmart because there's no way to to no one no way we can talk anybody into where this this location's at. So we uh, we met the Walmart, got everyone, took them up to the top of the mountain, and that was a that's what about a 45 minute drive. Yeah. 45, almost an hour, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's some rough terrain, but, you know, you happen to, to make it up in... The the Kia Forte, the, the blueberry, <laughs> those of you who know what I drive, uh, it made it up and down the mountain, what, three times? Three times. Three times? That's impressive. No, four times. Yeah. Because I went up the first time. I went down to get you. I went down the next morning... To get the students, I think it's closer to six. And then I went and and then came down the the final day. Yeah. Cool. So we got them up there. Went yep. through orientation, safety brief, paperwork, and all the all the real fun stuff. And then after that was done, we we started with individual skills. And that's one of the nice things about this class is you can read about this stuff you can watch the youtube videos you can you can lerp all, all you want but it, or what's it lerp larp larp larp, 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 yeah. larp something yeah larp whatever <laughs> those of you who, who know what i'm talking about you're feeling guilty right now i know um that's okay you come out to the class so you can do it for real anyways uh that's the nice thing is we we taught basic principles this is how you move this is how you stay quiet this is things you need to be doing you need to be you know situationally aware you need to be be looking and then go send them out so they actually went out and started walking and some of them like okay this is no big deal other people when they came back oh walking that way that i i've used muscles in my legs i didn't realize were there that, that that's kind of painful that's walking in the woods is harder than i thought it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. i thought i could just do it yeah exactly there's actually techniques i have to figure out yeah yeah, it's entertaining to see the light bulb come on in people mm-hmm. where you've read things. I mean, shoot, you and I have experienced, all of us have experienced it. I grew up reading Vietnam stories and thinking, oh, it can't be that hard. And then I found myself doing it like, those guys are so impressive. I mean, <laughs> wow, it, it is difficult, you know, to have that, to use all your senses yeah. in, in that environment and then to move with that environment. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge. So then after that individual piece, then that's when we started putting them together and just simple stuff. Okay, you're a group now. Now you need to organize yourselves so you're not just some gaggle, not just a mob walking around, but you're organized and you're here at point A and you need to walk to point B. And we just started walking and walking and walking and walking and then Every so often, then we'd, we'd add another piece, you know, and instead of overwhelming them with everything at once, we just slowly built and slowly built um, where they walked in a file. They walked in a stagger column. Then we had them walking in a wedge. We uh, had them different hand and arm signals as it was appropriate for them to, to learn this stuff. And then it, go ahead. that absolutely, it was very, very well organized and thought out where you had planned the timeline we would start in those baby steps and we'd add another piece. Once they grasp that concept, you give them the next piece, that next bite. And so they're taking this very complicated movement system mm-hmm. of moving with other individuals and other um, units, you know, the B team, A team. Um, and they were able to pick it up very quickly because you had already pre-digested it. 
you had already broken down into those mechanics. And then as we did it, we walked them through it. Too often in SUT, and I've taught SUT to Iraqis, to Saudis, to Afghanis, we'll sit there in front of a PowerPoint or we'll sit there on a whiteboard and this is a column, this is a wedge. We show them on the whiteboard really quickly and then we went out there and we did the baby steps Mm -hmm. and broke it down and they, they picked it up quick. That was awesome to see, especially, you know, the backgrounds that we had out there. Yeah. It wasn't that we were out there with, these are professional soldiers. This is their job. I've struggled to teach that to, you know, 101st, you know, infantry division, English speaking, you know, semi-motivated individuals. You broke it down really well. And that was awesome. It was good to sit there and kind of kick back and watch that and be like, man, these guys are getting it. Yeah. So then after they started learning how to walk and how to move and, and deal with problems like danger areas, linear danger area and that kind of stuff, then we started focusing on, on the leadership and how with that small group, we had, what, nine students yes. that, that were there. Um, and we broke them down to two teams, an alpha team, a bravo team, and then the, the squad leader. And those three leadership positions, we explained their roles. You know, the squad leader, he's, he's the guy in charge. Uh, the Bravo team leader, he's the uh, number two man. And then the Alpha team leader, you know, the, the third guy in charge. But then how the Bravo team and Alpha team leader, they're in charge of their own small uh, elements. Elements, yeah, four-man elements. And then it was interesting because we kept rotating uh, people through those different positions and how when you're the Alpha team, you you got to be in charge. You're, you're in charge of those guys. Um, and same with the, uh, the Bravo team. You know, I've got a little bit more responsibility. Now I'm kind of like that senior NCO or the person who I'm in charge of all these the personnel, and then you have the squad leader who, you know, here's the vision. We need to take that hill, men, or we need to we need to move here. But then it's really what was cool is to see guys who were placed into that squad leader role, how they felt the pressure. Hey, it, everything rests on me getting from point A to point B or accomplishing whatever the mission is. It, it's all on me. So a lot of the guys, they started to, to what? To micromanage. And then yep. we, we would, no, no, that's, that's not your job. You need to, you've got the big vision. Yes, the responsibility is yours, but what do you need to do? You need to allow those two team leaders to do their thing. You need to back off and, and let them lead their little elements. And to watch that dynamic, that's where I think a lot of growth took place, is learning when you're in charge, you have to be in charge, but also to, to trust the people that you're, you know, that are, that are under you. And it's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. I, Especially us, we're A-type people. We want to make things successful. Well, how do I, how can I guarantee that I make things successful? Well, I do everything. Yeah. You can't do everything. I mean, it, especially in that type of environment where there are so many different variables. People are hungry. People are tired. The weather. Enemy. I mean, yeah. it just there's so much going on that... You have to be able to depend and you have to be able to delegate. It's one of the great things about the SUT classes for leadership is it kind of forces you to do that. Because if you don't, you're done. You fail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be successful. So it really forces you to learn how to do those delegations and depend on people and trust people. And and really, you know, it's only three days, two nights. So that's really not a lot of time. And we were rotating them through those leadership positions pretty fast. But what would happen is if you have that person who 
They micromanage, and that's what they keep defaulting to, that I'm going to – I'm in charge. I need to do everything to make sure it gets done. Well, you can sustain that for a very limited period of time, and then you're going to burn yourself out. And as soon as you do, then the whole thing crashes. I think one of the uh, important things with, with leadership, like if you're on top – one of your primary jobs is to train those who are directly under you to, to take your job, to make sure that if there if something does happen to to any of the the elements in in that machine, that uh, that someone else can immediately take that place and, and and run with it, and so that the whole machine, the whole uh, patrol in this case, just is able to continue to function, can continue to move forward. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite or best team leaders that I've ever had, he was very much like that. I don't like the guy. I wouldn't want to go have dinner with the guy. <laughs> but he was very good at making sure that we all understood everything that was going on. And that we could take his spot. You know, if if something happened to him, that the team sergeant could jump in there. The warrant for sure could jump in there. I could jump in there. Down to the lowest man that we knew what was going on. And that is that is a mark of a good leader preparing the next uh yeah the guy underneath you yeah and someone who's not a good leader basically like a, someone who's who's insecure they won't do that they, yeah. they they want everything for themselves and yeah. they, they want to dictate yeah you do this you do that i direct direction is not delegation yeah and there there's a big difference between that and you have to get rid of the ego it's it's all about the mission and being successful um it's funny, we, we make the joke about LARPing. And mm-hmm. one of you out there, you always make the comment that you're the LARPer. And we're like, no, no, <laughs> you're not the LARPer. <laughs> you are not the LARPer. There are so many people that pretend, and they're doing this, it's just glorified paintball. You know, they're, they're not thinking that we're building capabilities. Mm-hmm. We're learning how to do all of this light fighter thing because we're Americans. That's what we do. We are prepared. It's just interesting. Um, when you take people out of their normal uh, swimming pool and you put them into something that's just a little bit alien to them, you know, they can still breathe, they can still see all of that. And then you start throwing puzzles at them and, and challenges at them that if it came in their normal um, environment, they're prepared for it. It, it isn't a challenge. You know, hey, you need to move this supply from here to there in their normal job. Okay, that's easy. You know, they they understand that concept. But when you put it in, we're in the woods, and you have to move this element of men from here to there. There's enough different problems going there. The land navigation, the communications, that they start to bind up, and they have to start to really stop and think about what they're doing. It forces them to grow. Even though they're doing the same thing that they've always done as a, as a leader, as a man, uh, it's forcing them to do it in enough of a different way that they are growing and becoming more. Well, what's nice then, too, is that through this experience, when they go back to, to their job, now uh, they're going to be able to think a little bit more outside the box. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've, we've always done it this way, but, but with that experience, well, maybe there's a better way or maybe we can be more effective or more efficient or... And just giving them that opportunity to, to approach it differently. It doesn't always have to be this way. Yeah. There, there is other ways. So did you guys, there was a meme that came out. It had the uh, two pictures on it. The top picture had a guy sitting on that, the big stone 
with the people pulling it, trying to move it, and it said boss. And then right below that was the same picture, but the guy wasn't sitting on the stone anymore. He was in the front, and it said leader, right? <laughs> yes. So all this talk about leader, it kind of brings that that meme to me is as a boss, you're that guy up there cracking a whip, telling people what to do. Like you said, you're just delegating stuff down. And even if you're the best delegator in these environments, you can't do it that long. Eventually you're going to fail because you're not delegating that down. But as that leader, you're able to delegate down, accomplish those tasks and relieve some of that stress off of you so you can focus on the bigger picture stuff that you, you need to get done. I've looked at the meme, and I, it's popped up several times, and I, I've thought about it. There is a there is a difference, and, you know, you were my boss, Chris, <laughs> at, at one point, and one of the things that made you a good boss is that when it was appropriate, you would be there standing next to me pulling the big rock. But when it was necessary for you to be up on top to see where we're going, you are up on top. And you have to understand it, it's a balance. We, we have to sometimes be able to step back from the mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. as leaders. Um, yes, we all want the leader to get in there and shovel the manure with us. But sometimes the leader needs to look and say, what's wrong with these cows? <laughs> they keep crapping all over the place. Yeah. You know, and have that bigger picture. Um, and so it's finding that good balance is very, very important. Well, I think that's one of, and now we've talked about it before, but I think one of the problems that we have are facing in the military shoot our, our whole society is we're making that fatal shift from leadership to management. Yes. All these people who, uh, giving some of them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they're well intending, but there's also a lot, a lot of them, especially those who are in charge, uh, they don't have our best interest at heart, but all these people who are who are starting to rally around socialism, a rally around communism, they are begging for that management system, which is one of the most ineffective systems that, that there is. And it's not allowing those systems and the way the military is shifting, it's not allowing for true leadership. You need that leader, especially when they're young, that young specialist, that young um, E5, or that, that very young uh, second lieutenant or first lieutenant, they need to be allowed to, to make mistakes. They need, they need to be able to learn from those mistakes and, and then be able to lead. We, we have to fail. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of training is you get a realistic environment to fail in, learn those mistakes, learn those lessons, so that when the time comes, you're not failing. And did we see mistakes made at the SUT class? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. And those individual students, once they either on their own accord realized, wow, that, that was dumb, that was a mistake, or when we talked about it after each, um, each mission, we would you know, discuss and have the AR and we'd bring things to their attention, that they learned more from making those mistakes in that environment about themselves and about leadership and about you know, coming up with better solutions than I think they did any of their successes. And that, that's one of the differences between what we did in this SUT course and a bunch of guys getting together, going out to the woods, putting multi-cams on, and running around with airsoft rifles, you know, shooting notional bad guys. Yeah. That's fun. That's cool. I really enjoyed that when I was 15, too. Uh, but we want to do something more. We want to have that good, realistic training environment. 
that we can mis- make mistakes and learn the lessons so that if we find ourselves in any of these situations, we've had that growing pain already, and now it's not costing someone's life. Yeah, and with that too, by cycling those guys into those leadership roles, like you said, in the military, you make those mistakes, you learn, we put them in those positions. Usually they're not even ready for that. Mm-hmm. But after doing those roles, they go back to the, we'll call it just the follower position, right? Well, you have a better appreciation for that leader. Like, hey, I was in that spot. I know what he's done, what he's trying to do. So and, I'm going to what he's experiencing more feeling receptive, that moment. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yes, I know he's got our best interest and he's trying to do this this way for us even though i'm the one down here shoveling the manure it's not as bad right it it doesn't have that perception of oh he just wants us to shovel manure well no there is a purpose to it so having those experiences as a leader when you're not quite ready for it you get that leadership those fails to better yourself maybe realize you you do need some more um, education or training on certain things, but then also being that just a better follower to, yeah. to help accomplish that overall goal versus just me or I. Now, I look at the product that we're producing here with these SUT classes, and we've talked about this is a leadership thing. This is something that, yes, we're using the mechanism of combat arms. We're using the AR-15 platform and multicams and moving in the woods, which is a, a, a military-style task. That in, introduces a stress and it keeps you out of your normal environment. But the skills and the leadership that you develop doing this applies across the board wherever you're at. So let, let's talk about uh, that, the second night, that, that Ron site. So mm-hmm. we put the youngest individual in charge as the squad leader. And we gave them a time hack. Hey, you're here. You need to be here to do a short and a long halt. Then you need to do a leader's recon, take them into the, your rest overnight site. And then you need to, after you do the leader's recon, come back and get your men, put them in place. Then you need to put out two LPOPs, um, listening post, observation um, post. And then on top of that... Uh, the weather didn't really cooperate. <laughs> so this young man already feeling overwhelmed, and we did, you know, cheat a little bit. I guess not cheating, but we made sure that his alpha team leader and the Bravo team leader were, were, were all right. They, they, were, they were a little bit more, I guess, seasoned with life than, than what he was. It, but again, on that, it was we all find ourselves where we might have that junior boss. Yeah, like, yeah. This kid just got out of college. He knows nothing. Uh-huh. And if we m- manage the way that we handle that individual and we communicate with that individual, we build a lifelong friend who is always coming to us for advice. Yep. If we come up to that guy and be like, look, Lieutenant, you don't know what you're talking about because you just got out of college. I've got nine combat deployments. That dude's not going to listen to a thing I say. Yep. He's going to be, everything is going to be a confrontation. We have to learn that. We have to learn that skill of communication. Sometimes we're not the leader. Sometimes we need to guide and mentor the leader, though. So, yeah. so what happened then? They got moving. <laughs> they got out to their 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 short, short halt. halt. Started turning it into a long halt, 
And then the rain started, well, it wasn't coming down. Like you said, it was kind of coming down, you know, sideways. Kind of sideways, yeah. yeah. Almost Forrest Gump, like, coming up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> almost. So then uh, I gave them the benefit of the doubt and said, just take it by force. Just, just <laughs> get there. And, and they did. And um, I know I walked with them. So you, you drove. Yeah. You drove away. So I walked with them, and they got into uh, where they're going to have their, their on site, the rest overnight site. And it was a little chaotic for about four, maybe five minutes, because at that point, with the rain coming down, people wanting to uh, protect some of their equipment and, and everything, plus they need to put security out, um, it, it was a little chaotic. Then what was really cool is that the uh, two team leaders, they calmed down, and this poor young man was definitely overwhelmed, and I just was quiet, just just letting it go, see, see how it was going to play itself out. And then once the two team leaders calmed down, they... Uh, went to him and it was so so cool it was so uh humbling um because if you know like for those couple minutes they were like do this do this this and then once they calmed down they went to him and like okay what should we do next and they were in front of the group giving him the respect as the guy who was in charge and then this young man he started to calm down and then it was just just like clockwork it was it was it was a wonderful thing to see and experience as he started like, hey, well, we need to do this and you need to do that. And then asking what his, you know, his now his two counselors, hey, what should we do? Oh, and it was just it's really nice to see that growth and that development. So then they they did get their equipment covered. They did uh, have clock security. They did put out two LPOPs. And then uh, I was fully planning on staying with them just to, you know, because like we said, he's the youngest guy, and just in case things got out of hand. So then after everything calmed down and they started pushing people out, and I saw how they placed them and everything, and everything was looking good, he actually came to me, and he's like, you don't need to be here. I'm like, oh, are you sure? He's like, well, yeah, you see how tight this is and with the rain? Actually, if you're here, that's with one more body, and, and it'd be in the way. I'm like, oh, okay, it's all right. Nice. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, on the flip side of that, I was getting comfortable getting the nice fire built. Uh-huh. I'm getting real relaxed for the night. And then I get the radio call from me like, hey, Chris, you got to come pick me up. I'm like, whoa, oh, man, I got to put my boots back on? <laughs> you were going to be out there miserable with everyone. I was going to be all comfortable. That's right. Nice. Well, I also think what makes a good leader, like, and you hit on it, is knowing when you need to talk to either a subordinate or somebody under when you don't have those answers mm-hmm. and being able to admit to it. Like, I don't know this. What do you think? Or here's what we need to do. I don't quite know how to get there. And looking at those subordinates that had that experience, like, hey, how should we do this? You've been there. Or even in a civilian company, guy that's been working there for 10 years, you get a new boss in there. Yeah. How do we do this? Yeah. Like, this is what I think or this is what it should look like or I think it looks like. How do we do this? A lot, I think a lot of people get stuck in those leadership roles and feel like they'll be looked at as not capable by saying, I don't know. Now, the flip side of that is if you say, I don't know all the time, then you just, you, yeah, it's that yeah. incompetency. But being able to step back and, hey, I don't know this. What do you all think? I think that makes a good leader of, of being able to recognize your, your strengths and weaknesses or being able to admit when you you just don't know. Yeah, I agree. So one of the nice things that uh, about this is we were running comms, so everyone had their radio 
and we could monitor, but then also then we had our own independent comms so we could talk to each other. So, I mean, it's, it's just very useful. So when we would go and, and check up on them or when we'd probe them, so I, I drove by with that truck, we could hear this is the first LPOP uh, solace and reported in. And then, you know, the, the directions that were given. It was just nice, you know, hearing how, it, how everything was working. Everything was functioning the way it should be. And then uh, we gave a couple occasional radio checks. But then, uh, about what time was that? Was that right around 10, 30, 11? Yeah, it was close right around there. Yeah. Um, so we, we tried, and we didn't get a response back, which was, I can't believe they all would had bracked out. They're tired, but... I, you know, I was kind of surprised. So then how many times did we try? Three times? Three times. Three yeah. times. So then after uh, no response for the third time, that's when uh, Chris, <laughs> he decided to go uh, go out and check them out and, and probe them. And you had a parachute flare? Uh, just a, a regular flare. Okay. It wasn't a parachute. Or it didn't have a parachute. It did have a parachute. Might, to, it should have. But yeah. No, it didn't have a parachute. <laughs> so what would you do? So I walk up, up the road, online with the uh, the little Ron site. Uh-huh. I'm maybe 50 meters or so uh, to the east of them, and make sure that I point the uh, the star cluster away from the patrol base because yeah, it's a questionable star yeah. cluster. Yeah, and uh, 45 degrees, ready to send it, set it off. It goes out about maybe 10 meters in front of me, and then immediately hard, 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 hard 90 degrees right across the patrol base. <laughs> so, so the at guy, which, at which point I hear a guy yell profanity. <laughs> so what we found out later, well, the next day was, uh, so when the thing did that hard 90 degrees, it went right, um, right at the tree. Or one of the trees that the one of the LPOPs w- was stationed under, so it goes. And the guy said that he wasn't leaning against her; he was leaning forward in, in his spot. And then something I don't know, roughly the size of a, a basketball. They hear, he hears all this noise above him; it's, it's crashing down. So this creature, probably a possum, may I, I assume it was a possum, not a raccoon, because a raccoon probably would have tore into. Would, would have been a little violent. Yeah, yeah. So this thing lands on his shoulder and then falls down into his lap, and then takes off scurrying the, through the forest. <laughs> I think by the weekend it was a small bear. Yeah, small bear, small yeah. black bear <laughs> turned into uh, a bear. Yes. Uh, I'm almost sure that by sometime next week it's going to be a yeti. Yeah, you know, it was a full-on skunk ape. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's, that's good stuff. Then. It was just uh, whatever. I guess the sunspots weren't in the right place because yeah, they they were up. They were doing what they were supposed to do. Just sometimes radios don't work. That's why the 18 Echo was the most hated individual on the team. Theory every time. Theory. <laughs> yep. Right on. So then after that, uh, yeah, that was a pretty quiet night. We did those sporadic radio checks throughout the night, and they they were good to go. And then um, they did stand too. We. Walked up on them, and they were ready to go, waiting for those French and Indians to attack in the morning. And then uh, that young man led that patrol back to the base camp, and uh, then that's when we switched that leadership. And I want to say the confidence and the change in that young man from that experience um, was was noticeable. He was physically changed um, from that experience. 
Yeah, that's, I know that's something that he will never forget. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. I think everyone that took, took part in that, in, in any role that they were, they gained something from yeah. that night. Absolutely. So then uh, after that, then we gave them the, the one more mission. And uh, this one, they had to go recover something. And that's when we finally introduced the concept of like the sand table and they were doing rehearsals and then getting everything down. And uh, so you saw the growth from the very beginning of that class. Hey, this is how you walk. Go out and go walk and, and go, go use your ears and listen and, and use your eyes and see and, and use your nose and, and sniff around a little bit. As an individual, too, at, at the end, they were doing you know, full-on rehearsals and everything. That was a lot of information, a lot of stuff crammed into those three days. But, man, did it pay off. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, or remembering, I should say, um, when they were out there sucking the most in, in the rain and it was getting a little cold, I remembered when I was doing SUT and uh, I was the Bravo team leader for one of the ambushes that we conducted. Now, was it an ambush? Yeah, one of the ambushes. So they had all been forward, and of course, as the Bravo team leader, I was pretty far away at the rally point with all the uh, rucks and everything, waiting to, to receive them with my, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, oh, the team like bundle the, on the, 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 the buzzsaw. The buzzsaw, yeah, the buzzsaw, yeah. yeah. And, man, it was so cold. It was so cold. It was late November, might have been early December, and... Of course, I'm not wearing any snivel because if I had that snivel on, you know, I was going to have the period of time where I was cold. But as soon as that ambush kicks off and is done, they're coming back to me. We're grabbing those rucks and we're hauling. So there's no time to, like, have polypro or anything like that on because yep. then I'll overheat and sweat. Mm-hmm. But, man, it was so cold. And uh, I remember the only thing I had was I had the polis litter. So I'm sitting against the tree, shivering uncontrollably and I got the polis litter wrapped around my legs <laughs> <It's> like the only <laughs> trying to get as much heat so then uh uh one of the walkers I could hear him coming up uh you know to check on me see what, what was going on since the ambush hadn't kicked off yet and uh, so this old crusty guy comes up and all of a sudden a flashlight comes on and says, hey you, you okay you you and he looks down and the flashlight's right on 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 the polis litter and I thought oh no is he gonna get upset because it's you know wrapped around my legs and he's like Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. All right. You're fine. You're good. He, <laughs> you, you stay warm. And then he, he walked away. Oh, that was so freaking miserable. Oh, good times. You know, I shared in in the class about how right now they were well fed. They had sleep when they started the class. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how quickly things degrade. And as a leader, you have to understand that that you're going downhill and your people are going downhill. And I shared the story about how when I was in SUT, we had been up for I don't know how many straight, mm-hmm. you know. We kept getting blown out of our patrol base and have to reset up and just punished all night long for like two nights in a row. And I'm sitting there, the sun's coming up, and there's this little fungus on a log. And the fungus and I are having a conversation about how <laughs> I need to uh, change all my VHS. Uh, that's how long ago it was when I went to... Uh, <laughs> SUT that I need to get rid of all my VHS tapes and get DVDs because that was the future. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I, I followed the, uh, the fungus the advice. advice. I wish he had the foresight to be like, Hey man, you know, digital is the, uh, the technology of the future. Don't even bother with DVDs, man. Uh-huh. You know, but he was a fungus. What, what can we expect? Yeah. But I gave that example to show 
when you're in these environments, people are going to have degraded capabilities. You have to know that. Things that we can sit there and in our armchairs think, oh, yeah, this is easy. Oh, I, I, I totally got this. You got to experience it when you're wet, cold, tired, mm-hmm. when you have that stress on you. Um, we talk about stress inoculation all the time. You also have to have that tired inoculation. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be willing to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, my side thing, my, my, one of my hobbies is I'm a photographer. And I remember reading a book. I was in North Carolina for a school. And it talked about how if you want to be a photographer, you have to be willing to wake up and take pictures of the sun as it's rising. And I'm like, you know what? I'm in North Carolina. Class doesn't start till 9. The sun is rising at like 545. I can drive out to the beach and I can take sunrise pictures. And so I was doing it during this class. I would drive out. Take the pictures that I needed to, you know, get those pictures, get that practice. But I was getting up at like three in the morning mm-hmm. to do it. Then I was driving back, going to class all day, doing PT at night, and then racking out at like 830. Because I had the dedication. I wanted to do that. I wanted to see that I could train myself. And far too often in our society, people don't want to push themselves. Even if it's something they desire. Like, I want to be a, a really good photographer. That meant I had to make that sacrifice. I had to make the sacrifice that my friends, they're like, hey, we're going to go out tonight and uh, we're going to go watch a movie. Cool. I'm going to be in bed because I'm getting up tomorrow at 3 to go take pictures of the sunrise. Didn't you do that yesterday? Yes. But I want that. And if you really want something, then you're going to make some sacrifices. And you're going to try and do things when you're tired. You're going to push yourself. And that's one of the things that this course does. You find yourself waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. to fight the French and Indians. That's right. You know? Uh, why? Because we have to have the experience. We have to know what it feels like to wake up after you've slept on a root and a rock and you've got a kink in the neck and you, you maybe slept three and a half hours of the, you know, eight hours of darkness that you had and you're still getting up and you're still performing and seeing what level you perform at. Knowing what your your capabilities are, man's got to know his limitations. You know, along those same lines, one of the things we kept pushing through the class is being professional. What is professionalism? And we use the example uh, of doing the pre-mission checks. So yeah, I, I'm every mission. I'm, I'm checking myself. Do I have the right equipment? Do I have fresh batteries? Is everything in working order? Do I have everything I need? Any team equipment, whatever. But then beyond that, now it's that team leader's job to also do that inspection, to, to check all of his guys, to, to make sure. And then the squad leader, what's he doing? He, he's, teching, he's checking his two uh, alpha team and bravo team. So there's that redundancy. And then the bravo team leader, he's checking the squad leader. Yep. And how awesome was it at the end, the, the final culmination? I'm up there with the support by fire. And then, you know, we're, we're on a range, so we have some rangeisms that they've, they've got to lock and clear and, you know, mm-hmm. show clear before they walk back. I go from being, you know, cadre making observe that the fire is in the correct order and all that to okay now i'm the safety before i could say anything that team leader who was in that position with me he starts walking his guys through clearing they're clearing individually then he's going through and clearing them and he had them do it a different way than i would have done mm-hmm. but it was it was a standard and they had rehearsed it beforehand <laughs> they knew exactly what they were yep. supposed to do i was impressed i was truly impressed because that was that was that professionalism. 
we check each other. Yeah. And, and it goes with the whole attitude. I'm too cool. I don't need to do press checks because I always know the condition of my weapon. Yeah. Have you been tired? Have you been going for days? Uh, we're human. We make mistakes. That's why we do those checks. And that's one of the things that separates that true light fighter. You recognize that you're going to make mistakes. Yep. Because you have tested yourself. Because you have put your body and your mind in a position where, oh, yeah, this looks really cool because I'm doing something silly. Or, no, I've really fatigued myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the difference between the guy that's doing the CrossFit exercise where he's doing a bunch of monkey flips and the guy that's doing a lot of, you know, actual training. That guy looks really, really cool over there doing those monkey flips, but he's doing no improvement. He's not getting anywhere. You know, a different class, different course, but uh, in the CQB courses that we do, um, I've told the students many times, I have never done a perfect run. I have never done a perfect hit, but I've been on perfect hits. And I don't know anyone who has, as an individual, been perfect on a hit, but as a team, as a collective, looking out for each other, doing those checks, I've been on perfect hits. And that's, I think that that's that, that difference of being a professional and then, yeah, faking your way through it, being that real light fighter and, yeah, and not. Yeah, being able to adapt to that when it comes up. We were just talking about that on the way here. You know, having that awesome plan, but then as that plan doesn't quite go that way or starts to kind of deteriorate, being able to adapt to that and make it work. Because, like you said, we've had awesome plans, and I don't think anything's ever gone to the exact plan. Mm -hmm. But being that professional and knowing what we're supposed to do, what everybody else is supposed to do, you're able to adapt from that plan and make it happen kind of take that detour to get back onto the plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I wish we had five weeks with all these guys when, you know, give, give them everything going through the planning process. I mean, we cover a lot of bases in our other seminars and classes. You know, we have the land nav seminar. We have the land nav classes that get you ready for this. I know the guys that had taken the land nav stuff, were much better prepared than the guys that hadn't. And they kept bringing it up, like, I'm so glad I took that class yeah, yeah. because I, now I understand what this is, where the other guys were struggling to kind of catch up. Um, that, that ability to plan and use your time management and do rehearsals, that is what makes us different. I mean, as Green Berets, what makes us special? The fact that we plan. Yeah. The fact that we rehearse that we build and understand the capabilities that we have and identify it in that planning process. I've been asked, you know, why did you stay in, in fifth group your entire career? Why didn't you ever, uh, you know, want to go to a special mission unit or anything like that? I love the fact that in fifth group, as an SF ODA, we were given a direction, but then we told them how we were going to do it. We wrote our plan. And then... Our commanders looked at what we said, and if we did our job correctly, we got the mission. Yeah. If we didn't, if we failed, we didn't get the mission, and the team that did it right, they got the mission. All based off of planning. All based off of presentation. All based off of being professional. I love that. I don't, want, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want someone showing up and being like, okay, hey, here's your target packet. You're going to walk into this door, and you're going to go left. 
I want to stand in front of a man and be like, okay, so this is the target you want affected. This is how we are going to do it because we are men. Absolutely. Here, here's how I'm going to accomplish your mission. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. You want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Don't tell me how to make it. Let me tell you how I make it. And you're going to love my concept. <laughs> like, I never thought about doing it that way. That's brilliant. Chris, you have the mission. Great, make me that peanut butter jelly sandwich. Greatest peanut butter jelly sandwich in the world. Uh, I kind of want a sandwich now. <laughs> I thought we were getting that meat oh, pie. Oh, we're doing yeah, pizza. Yeah, yep. that big pizza. Yeah. That thing's delicious. Yeah. Hmm. You know, speaking of peanut butter, we kept talking about sills. Mm-hmm. You know, stop, look, listen, smell. And it's kind of hard when you're not really hungry. You don't realize how well you can smell peanut butter. You can be in the patrol base, middle of the night. Who has peanut butter? Who has who has peanut butter? You know, <laughs> that smell carries. Yeah. Well, that that class, that SUT class, that was one of the greatest one, you know, greatest classes I think we've ever taught. That was that was good. I have to be hundred percent honest with you, Jared. I loved this week. When I came down off that mountain, we were texting back and forth, and you know everyone's, you know, okay, and you're like, oh man, I really appreciate you, you, you putting all that effort. I'm like, I loved it. This is great. I, I, I try not to brag. I try not to, you know, like poke at people. Mm-hmm. But people would sit there and be like, oh, I've got to go back to work after this. And I just got this big grin on my face. I'm like, this is my job. This is my <laughs> nine to five. You know, like I get. I have the privilege of working with amazing people, teaching amazing things, and seeing the growth. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm sure my wife could ask for more, like a company car. Um, but, you know. <laughs> See, I threw that in there. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I just worked it in there real, yeah, yeah. real subtle, uh, like Chris. But, uh, you know, me, I, I'm thrilled. I, I get all this in a paycheck, too. Yes. No, I think you do a great job at, at bringing all that together, kind of like we do in the military, that culmination exercise, right? So you can get all these, the separate stuff, like Chris was saying, with the land nav over here, the the wilderness skills in these other seminars, but then coming here and putting that all into use mm-hmm. in those couple days with the leadership challenges and stuff like that. So... Don't be afraid to show up to one of these if you haven't done that stuff because you will get everything out of this course no yeah. matter what. But definitely getting those those leadership challenges, I think that's that just, you can't put a price on that. Like that's probably one of the best experiences you'll ever get is being able to get into those positions and fail. Mm-hmm. Like. Nobody learns by not failing. We intentionally make you fail. And if you're not failing on the fly, we will make you fail because <laughs> you need to learn. Right? So that's that's how we do it. But yeah. And it's not to it's be amazing. It's not to be mean. It's not to, you know, punish you to there is no ego or anything about that. It is about presenting you in a, a challenge that you can safely make a mistake that you're going to learn a lesson from. Absolutely. If you recall uh the, the, the PO for, for the very last mission. Yes. Um, 
and he was really feeling that pressure. We got to, we have to succeed. We have to succeed. It's all on me. It's all on me. And what was he doing? He started micromanaging, mm-hmm. and then finally got to the point where I went and said, "Hey, let your team leaders do their job." And then the look of recognition, and then disappointment in himself, and like in, in that moment, I, I mean. Even if we were videoing, you couldn't capture the true emotion of like, oh my gosh, I, I am doing this. I am failing. I am wrong. And then that that, that growth, of, oh, that's right. And then he stood back and he, he let his his team leaders, especially his alpha team leader, do his job and do his thing. And yeah, you, you cannot replicate that. You can't read that in a book. You, you, you no. can't watch a PowerPoint or a movie. Yeah. You have to experience that. He had to experience that realization like, wow, we're failing and we're failing because I want to succeed. Because I want to succeed so bad, I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And then as soon as he made that realization and stood back and let his team leaders do their job. Things started flowing. Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, you can't learn that on YouTube. No. There's no video for that. No. And, you know, that's that's the hard thing is there's so much information that's involved. There's so much that we want to give uh, we have to do it in these pieces. We have to do it in these chunks. Yeah. So that you have those full opportunities. And we get asked, like, after this weekend, well, when's the uh, uh, survival and austere environment, you know, two or three? When's the next level? Yeah. Well, we're not going to put something out until we know that it's worth your time, that you're going to benefit something out of it. We have, the three of us have talked about we need to do a leadership seminar about how, you know, break down our op order and why is it that we use an op order the way we, we yeah. do. Simple three-hour class that every one of us has taught how many times, you know. But we're not going to have that until it's perfect. And even when we run that first class, I know I'm nervous that is it going to be worth their time? Is it going to, are they going to gain what I want them to gain out of this? We want to make sure that we're giving you guys the best product that, that we can. So we've we've talked in that uh, that leadership conference, that leadership you know class that you're talking about. It's one of the I guess projects that we're we're working on. But this past week with the SUT, it, it's a culmination of, of a lot of these other classes. Yes, yes. Like you said, mm-hmm. like Chris. Uh, Chris, too. You, you don't have to necessarily have had all those classes to come here to learn and to benefit from the class because a lot of people didn't. But also, if you do attend some of those, you're helping yourself, and it'll be better. Um, at the end, they, they were doing land nav. The, the key leadership, they needed to, to plot and then patrol to to those points. Um, so the so the precursor to that is some of our land nav classes. And you just did a, a Highlands uh, land nav uh, workshops those two days. Why don't you talk us through that? Great training area, conveniently located near where I live. So I actually go up and play there all the time myself. Um, just like this, you can read about land nav. You can uh, re- read about declination and the polar shift and things like that until you're actually on the ground trying to walk on an azimuth. You don't realize how hard it is. You don't realize how much you drift. You don't realize the the impact that that can have on on a patrol. Um, we all drive on roads that pretty much guide us everywhere we go. We're told where to go in our daily lives. Uh, the GPS. 
Have you ever driven with me? Because I, I, I don't take that. I mean, how many times have you been in the car and I'm hitting the rumble strips? I'm going where I want to go. <laughs> Forget <laughs> see, that road. See, on that, I'm going to say, no, no, no. They keep you in the boundary. Yeah. <laughs> You're still keeping in the boundary. You're just pushing the edges. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Jared buys this really nice truck. I don't think you had a week. And I'm sitting there like, okay, here it goes. Going to total this truck. Oh, man. That sucks. Um Fortunately, we made it there alive. Mm-hmm. But running that uh, Highlands land navigation, one of the things I love about it is it is not straight line distance. I can teach a monkey to fly a submarine. All right. So if you've been to the land nav classes, you know what I mean by saying flying a submarine. You have no windows. You have a a distance and a direction. And when you reach that that end of that direction, or sorry, end of that that distance, you change to the next direction. Now, if you're flying through the air, there's nothing to stop you. You can totally navigate by that. We live in the real world. The highlands, it's um, rocky, rough, hilly terrain. If you plot a straight line azimuth to your point, you're not going to find it. And it's going to make you feel really foolish because the training area is just barely bigger than a square kilometer. It's under a mile. And yet people couldn't find points if they weren't using proper navigation principles. So not orienteering, not flying a submarine, not walking on a dead azimuth, actually land navigating, using attack points, using checkpoints, understanding that, man, when one of the locations we were at, we have the most current map available for that location. And yet when you plotted the point, and you plotted a, an attack point, and the student and I both did it, and we were both frustrated as all get out because the map was not accurate. Because the map is like from you know the the late twentieth century. The bridge that we are using as the intersection doesn't exist. Has well, it exists, uh-huh. but it has been moved. They have changed <laughs> the position of it, and we're sitting there we're like, this is the AT trail. I mean, that thing is you know. Modern purpose is it's a hundred years old, but we know that that's the warrior's trail, right? I yeah. mean, that, that trail the has warrior's path. Yeah. yeah warrior's path. Th- that has been going on for thousands of years. People yep. have been using it. So really that bridge has got it. that crossing point has to be right there. Well, it wasn't it, what we were using, but because we had the understanding of the principles of navigation. Okay. That attack point that we are using isn't, isn't working for our purposes. So we go ahead and we utilize something else. We find another known point, and then we plot that point, and we get in a small azimuth, a small movement, a 100-meter movement, and we walk right in on the point. And it was, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my pace count, walking behind the student, and uh, I'm sitting there thinking, we're going to break through this brush and we're going to see it. And I, I ask him, hey, what's your pace count? And he's like, I'm almost at a, oh, there it is. Cool. And it was just one of those things. I'm hoping that individual sees that skill that he just learned. You being able to navigate, and I don't care if you are talking about in an urban environment where you live in the city, um, on your own with understanding the terrain and reading the terrain, reading those buildings and those streets and the thing and the way that that the avenues are flowing. It's the same thing as being in the woods, reading the way that the elevation is changing, 
reading the water, reading the the fire breaks, mm-hmm. the the way the vegetation is growing. That stuff is going to separate you from everyone else. As a leader, and you know, going back to be as SUT, if a leader cannot navigate, he is not a leader. It is one of the biggest things that I have experienced. You've experienced mm-hmm. it. I know you've experienced it. Yep. That if I've got that leader, who, you know, he's that new fresh lieutenant, and he gets out there and we walk around in circles all night, my confidence in that man, yeah, gone. I, I don't think I've told it here. I told the students at SUT, yeah. talking about the very first uh, lieutenant I had in the 82nd Airborne. And actually, I think he's the only one... Yes. When I was my time in the 82nd, he's the only PL. And also when I went to group, um, he's the only individual that uh, didn't have a Ranger tab. So I think that's a great school for those young early lieutenants as well as, you know, the specialists or or sergeants. Great, great leadership school. Um, Anyway, so this guy that uh, we call Jake the Snake, when we did um, JRTC, when I did JRTC, I think two or three weeks from getting into division before we deployed. Um, he would turn four-click movements into, into seven-click movements. He would turn seven-click movements into like 12, 14-click movements. It was, <laughs> it was destroying us. Anyways, we all were so disgruntled at his inability to, uh, to navigate and to get from point A to point B in the best, uh, best uh, way. Um, almost the entire platoon, we were taking a break and we're, uh, we're sitting around, and we watched him, and nobody said a thing, as he's <laughs> picking poison oak, and putting the poison oak in his helmet for, for like, camouflage and stuff to, to, to camouflage it. We're all like, all right. <laughs> we just let him do it. I know, yeah, it, it was pretty bad as, you know, he started to break out after after touching that stuff, getting the ruse oil all over him. Yeah. That was good times. Good times. <laughs> yeah, we're driving over here, and Chris is like, yeah, I got some poison ivy. And I was like, really? I, I mean, I, I was paying attention. I didn't see any. And he's like, yeah, I was from golfing. I'm like, oh, you deserve it. You deserve it. He's like, what? I'm cheap. I see a golf tee. I got to pick it up. Uh huh. In the poison Golf balls in the, yeah. on the side. Yep. Yeah. Well, that'll teach you. It will. Hmm. Golfing. Yeah. Waste of a good range. I, I keep my sniper rifle in my bag. Just, you know, I hit my golf ball and then I shoot it. It's good practice. That's not true. I don't do that. And don't do that at home, kids. <laughs> I, that'll, that'll get you in trouble real fast. I, I'm just sitting here thinking, man, this. This is a potential class. Like, we need to find a range that we could do this. All right. So first you drive that ball out there, and then you have to engage it with the weapon system you brought. <laughs> you know, that little tiny white ball. All right. So we do other classes, too, like the comms class and, and, and other bits and pieces of you know, building that light fighter, bringing you out to SUT to uh, start putting all that stuff together. We have another SUT class coming up in June. This mm-hmm. one is yep. is longer, and this one's different. This is instead of the basics of patrolling, that's uh, going to be all about uh, battle drills and, and working together with that small unit. Um, and I know some of the guys who attended this past time, they're going to be attending there. So those individuals will be the first ones that we'll put in, in leadership roles since they just had this experience. But then same thing, we'll be working uh, everyone through those leadership roles. And that's the, again, different Different and set of circumstances. They're going to have a major advantage. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because they've done the land navigation. Mm-hmm. They have the communication. They know what it's like to do the patrolling and the movement techniques. 
And the other students that haven't had those things are going to see, man, I'm really coming up short. It's going to highlight the things that they need to focus yeah. on. Yeah, that'll definitely be a learning experience for them. And again, all this is designed to give that experience Absolutely. and to build leadership. So after the SCT class, we also uh, we ran another one, So I, which I had to, to come down off the mountain, unfortunately. Uh, I had to go do something else that I, I was asked to do, and it was an honor to, to go participate and do that. It, it really was, um, but I missed out on on the, the other two days for, for your building skills class. You just knew I was going to make you sleep in a shelter, and you're like, no, I've done that so much of my life. I'm not sleeping outdoors. Yeah, you just you needed to go home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so talk us through so it. So, yeah, I, I brought Chris up for this because he's got a lot of woods experience. I mean, he grew up doing a lot of these things, not just as an SF guy, but just in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, well, wait a minute. Wait have you have you been to Philmont? Yeah. yeah oh, we did in Philmont too. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah. if you remember when we yeah. were out there. Yeah, 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 that's right. Okay. Anyways, keep keep going. Yeah. So we had we had two different perspectives of you know the same Boy Scout shelter. Those <laughs> that built it at Philmont, which from what I understand is like a very very pleasant um, place, and then those of us that built it at Cherry Valley. Uh, on Catalina Island, which you, is just right there, the Pacific Ocean, which is very cold, and you just got this cold wind blowing through the entire night. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. We all got our wilderness survival merit badge. Some of us have extra stitching around the outside of it. <laughs> you know who you are, me. Yeah, so I wanted to bring Chris up here. Any chance that I can get to work with Chris, I'm going to. And so when you're like, hey, Chris, I'm going to be, I've got to take care of this thing. Uh, who do you want with you? I don't even think you got it out of your mouth before. It's like, we need to bring Chris up. Um, just his background. Yes, Boy Scout. Grew up hunting, fishing, those things that I came to later in life. Um, so when it came to talking about setting snares and traps, I've learned it in military survival. Chris has done it for a hobby. So that was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, we, we brought him up. We had, again, could not have asked for better students for that first class. Uh, we've been working on the concept. We've been working on the, the POI for a while. Uh, knew the things we wanted to teach. And the right people showed up that it was, I wasn't, like, super concerned. Like, this person has no idea how to drive on a dirt road, let alone how to start a fire. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't have to go through the class of, okay, so let's talk about procuring firewood. We didn't have to do that. We went in straight into, let's build Dakota holes. Um, pretty awesome. So, yeah, we uh, the, the way the walkthrough went, we started, met everyone down again at the Walmart, and then drove them through a very, very muddy uh, trail coming back up. Which uh, again, the, the Kia survived. It uh, it made it all the way to the top. I don't know if it's going to survive much longer though. <laughs> Corolla, Corolla made it too. The, the Corolla made it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I picked up a passenger on the way down. <laughs> uh, little little route got me. Yeah. So um, we we get everyone up, and the very first thing we did was before setting up any kind of camp, I had the students grab their bag. So whatever they just determined that they needed to survive. Um, approximately three days with put those on their backs and we went and we took a little nature walk 
And uh, the Nature Walk had two concepts in it. One, uh, so that people can uh, get an understanding of how important it is to know where they're at. Two, do I need everything in this backpack? <laughs> and uh, we, we have one student that his pack was, was very large. Um, had a lot of redundancy. Yeah, large and heavy. Large and heavy. Um, Chris and I, the night before, had run into Walmart and did the little $100 challenge. But 218 Bravos are really bad at math. And uh, so we had the $106 challenge. Ooh. Um, we bought... Well, we got we got two of the emergency rations. Yeah, we rations. got two of the emergency so take rations. take one of those out. Because we're like, well... With we're, tax, it was probably we're, one We're one. fat kids, and we want the extra calories. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and, hey, it makes... They're apple cinnamon, man. It's apple cinnamon. It makes great bait for traps, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, because that's really what we want. That's we want right. that squirrel. Um, so we, I'm carrying this little tiny backpack. I mean, it was like something... I, honestly, it, essentially, it was a, a one of the Camelback bladders you get that has the extra pouches. Yes. I would have put that backpack on my 10-year-old daughter. <laughs> and, you know, one, it cost around $100, um, if we could do our math right. I'm going to be honest, it was slightly more, only because we can't calculate math. No, well, we didn't count for taxis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll blame it on the tax. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, so we do this walk, and I... Talk about Jake the Snake. I meandered. I wandered. I double backed on us. You know, um, in attention or in attempt to make them get lost. The students that had been up there uh, previously, they knew where they were at. Mm -hmm. um, they were familiar with the area enough. We had one of the students that stayed from the SUT class. He knew exactly where we were at. Yep. Um, the other guys kind of had a concept of where we were and where our camp was, which was pretty awesome. And again, it shows the caliber of student that we have, that they are capable of doing those things. I wanted to show one of the dangers that people run into in a survival situation is they wander away. They leave their car to go get more firewood or something and then can't find it again just because a simple concept of the sun always rises in the east yep. um, doesn't apply. Or, oh, it's it's nighttime and I don't know how to, you know, mentally visualize I turned left, I turned right. Okay, I went approximately this, this distance. Um, so we talked a little bit about that, went back to the camp and uh, started to go through bags. And I went through my bag first. And I went through the items and... Well what was the response in uh, with those students? Did any of them? Oh, is, yes. Some of them said they needed to change their bags. Okay. Yes. What did the one guy say? He said, uh, what was it, with more experience, you need yeah. less stuff? Yeah. With, with, uh, yes. They, they looked at my bag and said, of course it's that small because with the more training you have, the less stuff you require. Yeah, that's what it was. And uh, we, uh, I know when, when I have done this class before, oh, man, it, it's been been a number of years since the last time I actually did this class. But uh, when we did the walk, this this lady, she had read too much stuff on, on the internets. She'd watched too many videos on YouTube. She uh, believed way too much propaganda things she needed. And she had almost everything to include the kitchen sink. And we did a small movement. It, I think ours was, on oh, various terrain, but it was only like one and a half uh, 
clicks, you know, 1,500 yeah. meters yeah. is all, all it was. She went about 200 meters and she was done. So I, you know, had to grab her bag and threw it up on top of mine. And so I, I walked it because she, she's, she could not function. Yeah. She, she, she couldn't go anymore. One of the things that we kept trying to talk about with the bags and everything is you're talking about surviving. You're talking about keeping yourself alive for that period of time. We're not talking about glamping. Okay, the glamorous camping where, <laughs> you know, I have my I have my tablet, I have my charger, you know, I have my um, propane heated uh, hot water tank so I can take a shower. We're talking about making it through the night, shivering and cold, but making it through the night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a big difference. You know, I'm doing one for entertainment. I'm doing one so that I will stay alive long enough to be entertained later. You know, and have some really great stories about it. Um, so as we're going through our bag, the one that Chris and I put together, again, relatively cheap, uh, something that anyone can throw together by understanding the concepts of what you want to accomplish, what you're trying to make happen in your your survival situation. Um, and again, it was a very small size. You could easily have a couple of these bags in the car. And that was one of the things that we talked to the students about. By the fact that they are taking this training, they are now the leader in their group. So they're going to be at work and something could happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, an earthquake, a tornado, whatever natural disaster, a man-made disaster. People are going to immediately turn to them. And you guys out there, you know that you're that person because you hear it all the time. Hey, if uh, the zombie apocalypse ever happens, I'm coming to you. You're coming. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to your house. Yeah. yeah. No, you're not. So, <laughs> you yeah. bring some stuff with you. Sure. <laughs> Come to my house. You'll find it abandoned. Um, <laughs> with that, um, talking about that small bag, that's something that they could build and have. So when that guy does come, hey, uh, uh, can you help me walk home? You're going to be like, yes. I have my bag that I'm going to live out of, and here's this bag that you can live out of. You're going to survive. You won't thrive. You won't be really happy, but you will be alive. Um, After we went through our bag, we were able to get through one of the students' bags uh, before weather dictated. We we postponed that till the next day. Uh, Weather continued to be uh, an entertaining uh, training aid. We'll we'll call it that. Um, So we went through the student that had the biggest bag. And I love this man. I really do. Just this guy is doing everything he can to prepare himself and his community. And it is awesome. He is a rock star. He went above and beyond. He had an Excel spreadsheet of his pace plan for every item. Nice. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was funny because, like you said, he had a pace plan. So as he's pulling stuff out, he's like, well, that's my other lighter. Here's my other food or my other fire source. And he'd pull some more stuff out and be like, oh, here's another lighter. He's like, what? Yeah. And it was one of those things, like, I couldn't tell him anything that he had in his bag was wrong. Mm-hmm. Because it all worked. Yes. It just, he had too much of it. You know, it's, I, I had the experience. I was young 18 Bravo. We were going on a, a mission. We were dismounted. And so I thought, well, I need to carry firepower. So I'm carrying a saw. I'm carrying my M9, of course. 
I am carrying an M79 because, well, you know. You just never know. You might need that. And then, because we knew that we had dogs and other things that might be a problem, I was carrying MP5 SD for sensory <laughs> suppression. Reminds me of that commando scene. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and then, like, my my assault pack <laughs> was full of ammo, you know. And we got back from, and I was so smoked, so smoked. But I had every base covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think when we did the original podcast on the Light Fighter, we, we hit on that. And I I think I posted a picture. Anyways, I, I know in the 82nd, man, I just kept adding, well, I could use that one more mag. You know, I could use one more mag. Till the mission was, hey, <laughs> hands across Afghanistan. We're going to clear this village and walk seven clicks to the next village and walk and walk. And, man, I destroyed myself because I had yeah. – the stuff I had wasn't mission appropriate. Way too much uh, equipment. And so with the experience comes. It's not yep. that, I mean, the training helps. Mm-hmm. And the experience that you get from doing the training really helps. Because then you start to identify. You don't go pendulum swinging the other way where you're running around and you're like, hey, I'm just going to survive off of my everyday carry. And if I can't do it with what I have on my body, then I don't deserve to live. That's the, that's the same concept of, oh, I only carry two magazines. Because, you know. Why do I need more than 60 rounds? Rogers Rangers didn't need more than 60 rounds. <laughs> That's you know? right. That's true. Um, so with that experience, we, we are able to determine what we need. Um, and it, it was pretty awesome to sit there. The one thing that I will tell that I, I did say, yeah, you need to get rid of that. Um, oh, yeah. The blue jeans. Or was there the, something else? The field jacket. The field, oh, yeah, the field jacket. Yeah, so you had a... Uh, Old school, the army army field jacket, field. not a Gore Tex. The, the previous M was it fifty six, fifty six or something like that, yeah. and and uh, blue jeans, and it was one. When that stuff gets wet, it does nothing for you. Yeah, it is giving you no benefit. Two. The the weight and the size that those items bring. Yeah, everything you had that jacket yeah. and a little stuff sack. I was like, uh, so I pulled out that Sierra Designs one I got secondhand in Arizona. If y'all remember that one from the podcast when I showed up to Arizona in shorts and a t-shirt because it's Arizona. <laughs> and we went uh-huh. to Flagstaff in the snow. So that stuff's into a little sack, like three quarters of the size and weight. And it and was does probably four times the bucks. amount oh, of yeah. uh, protection. It's, and it's waterproof. Yeah. And it's warm. Yeah. So it was pretty good going through his pack, and I, I know that he's going to rethink and, and make some corrections uh, to make it a little bit lighter and more versatile. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've all fell in that trap, too. You see it all the time. Like down in Q course, remember you take your uh, rucksack in to uh, Ranger Joe's oh, and, and have, sew pouches on? Yeah, yeah, and if I have a pouch, i got to put something in the Absolutely. pouch. Absolutely. At the end of the course, you're like, I don't want any more pouches because they get filled <laughs> with stuff. And sometimes they're not even, it's not even your stuff. Your buddy's like, hey, man, uh, my, my stuff's full. Can you put this yeah. in there? Yeah. Or, yeah. But going through those packs and being able to, like, his his six sources of, of fire, being able to consolidate that down, like, okay, yeah, let, let's have a backup. And but one of the things that we saw across multi-purpose. the board, multi-purpose, taking fire, for instance, uh, you know, we did the rest of the packs the next day. Um, we had guys that had multiple systems of starting fire, you know, whether it was a chemical aid, whether it was, 
you know, a ferrous rod, whether it was lighter, but they had like all these different systems mm-hmm. for doing it. And I, I believe in having two or three different ways of doing things, but some of them had like 10. Pick a system, pick another system, and then have everything that you need for that system. Yep. Um, having a lot of different ways of doing it and then little amounts of those little ways. One, you're not carrying enough supplies. Two, you know, you, you, you have this crazy diversity. You, if you're trying to cover down for all instances, okay, it, going back to the, having the training, understanding what those instances I'm in wet conditions. I'm in dry conditions. Do I have a way to start a wet fire? Do I have a way to start a dry fire? I have high winds. Okay, well, I know what to do when I have high winds. I don't need anything special for that. Uh, So you understand that you can pare your stuff down and you're not running in this. I have four bags of different ways to light a fire, which, you know. Absolutely. Experiment and find what you like. But then when you put it in the bag, make sure that you're not having these crazy amounts. Yeah. Um, so we did, um, we dumped the bags. Then we went into water purif- water uh, collection and water processing. Um, we talked about what you're carrying for your water container and getting the concept of, hey, I need to be, as I'm moving, looking for another water container. And uh, the property that we're on, I, I, I have questions about that guy that, that has that property. So there's a lot of Bacardi bottles. I mean, <laughs> there was a, I would say, an abnormally large amount of Bacardi bottles. Um, I'm curious to see his liver. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> um, I know you're listening right now and don't wreck your car. Uh, <laughs> probably because you have too much Bacardi in you, you know. Um, but yeah, we, we found some uh, some old glass bottles, and we talked about don't pass this by. And if you find yourself in that survival situation, uh, anything is useful. Scavenge. Mm-hmm. People are dirty birds and will throw stuff away. I've been in the middle, well, not the middle. I've been on the edge of the empty quarter in uh, Saudi Arabia, f- probably fifty miles from any form of civilization. And I found a shoe. Well, just one shoe because, you know, why not, right? That's, that's one of the takeaways I got from watching uh, Survivor Man, you know, which he's legit. Some of the others mm-hmm. aren't so much. But didn't matter where he went in the world and how, you know, isolated he was. <laughs> oh, still look, finding trash. There, there's trash. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're dirty birds. So we talked about getting another water container and the advantages of having that. You have something to transport your water, your dirty water in. Uh, when you've cleaned it, you have something to continue. you can store more water in, especially if you've got a holdup location where you're waiting either to be rescued or you're just hiding from people. Uh, you, you're able to process and hold more water at a time. So always keep an eye out for an additional container. Um, then we did one of my favorite things once we got our water, which was procured by Chris the day before. We had mason jars, um, and he went around to all the really nasty puddles because it was raining, and he yep. made sure that everyone got some some really funky water. There, there was one that was slightly cleaner. Yeah, we did get one it off of a, the tarp uh, because it rained. And, yeah, yeah, well, it, I did get some rain water. <laughs> it was, we're sitting around the fire. We put a tarp up to protect us so we can enjoy the fire the night before the class. And uh, 
all of a sudden the tarp bends just enough that it dumps right down Chris's back. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's little things seat. like that, little things like that yeah. that just make life just so more enjoyable. Watching your friends get soaked <laughs> when you're soaked. Yes. Um, yeah. So we had procured already good samples of water. Then we took them around and showed them uh, different places that you can procure those water. The water. One of the reasons why we did it ahead of time was just simple uh, time saving. We wanted everyone to have the same amount of water to do the processing with. Um, instead of, you know, one guy had some fold up little canteens, another guy had an algae bottle. Um, we wanted everyone to have the same experience. So we prepoed quart jars of, of fun water. Gotcha. Yep. Um, but then we took them through how they would do the processing. Um, we went through the concept of using chemical um like your your iodine tabs or your chlorine tabs mm -hmm. for water pur water purification. Um, how important it is once you've, you know, if you use that container to get the water out of the pond, you still need to rinse the threads off once you've purified it before you put that to your mouth because you're, yeah, you know, it's contaminated. It's water. contaminated, you know, even though it's just there on the threads. And that was one of the things that some of the students are like, well, I've known how to use iodine tablets. I carry iodine tablets. But they had no idea. Yeah. But no one had ever told me the importance of washing the threads off. Yeah. And we talked about, um, you know, we use water for more than just drinking. We use water for washing our hands, washing our dishes. Uh, you know, you still you're still cleaning um, as you're eating things. You still have to clean the stuff that you used to cook with and that you ate off of um, for, you know, the hygienic purposes. A lot of times people are getting sick because they're not purifying the water they're washing their dishes with. Yeah. We talked about the concept of gray water. So well, I, I've seen somebody drinking pure water all day, right? Purified. But then they're going to go brush their teeth and they're using, yeah, the contaminated water yeah. to, to yeah. wet the toothbrush to brush yep. their teeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about using the gray water. So once you uh, wash the dishes with something, you can use that for putting out your fire, you know, um, any other thing that you would use water for that's not going in your body, you know, you're not going to reuse it that way. But we have, we're kind of dependent on water. It's kind of an important yeah. thing. Uh, then we did the, the rain tree, which is one of my favorites, building a teepee. Mm -hmm. Again, showing off the, the power of being a Boy Scout, Chris busts out his pioneering merit badge and shows how to do proper lashings. Mm -hmm. Some of the students knew how to do lashings. Some of them didn't. And it was pretty cool for them to see how it was done. And then for us later in the day when they were building the shelters, to watch them yep. do yep. proper lashings. Yep. So many times in my life, I've seen people try and lash things together. And you're like, well, I guess you're not going to stay there. <laughs> if you can't tie knots, tie lots. And yeah, that's uh, going to be rough for you. Once we had the water samples and we run them through the tree to do some filtration, we had to do fires because one of the greatest things you do is boil it, right? Mm -hmm. Went into the Dakota home. This is one of the advantages that we had with the students we, we had there. I didn't have to explain how to gather wood. <laughs> they understood how to gather wood. So we were able to go right into um, digging the Dakota hole and the purpose behind it, get them boiling water. I went ahead and uh, I made sure that Chris, who was doing the demo, had an extra challenge because I put half his fire out when I put his canteen cup yep. on. That worked out really the fire. well. 
because you know I wanted the students to see that hey, even when your buddy dumps half your water on your fire, you can still get it boiling. Yep. So yeah, so after they they did that, uh, they boiled the water, and then uh, we drank it. Yeah. So me me and Chris went first because or Chris and I went first, uh, just to Demonstrate. set the example. Yeah, yeah know, exactly. Obviously, um, actually tasted really well. Yeah, a little gritty, but yeah. uh, it was good. When, when the dregs of the mud hit the back yep. of the, you know, throat, it was a little, little awkward, but, you know, not bad, not bad. So I drank it first and handed him the rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are friends for? Yeah. Uh, what we do after that? that we, was, uh, we went into uh, building shelters. Yep. And one of the reasons why we did the shelters last was I wanted that sense of urgency of it's getting dark. Mm-hmm. So they've got two hours to, well, by the time... We had done the class and cut them free to build their own showers, showers, shelters. Uh, they had two hours. So we demonstrated two, two concepts, uh, had them help us build them, talk them through it. And then we had one young man who was 12 years old, and he was so excited to sleep in his shelter. And everyone else is kind of hesitant. They're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And then when they've got this little 12-year-old kid who's like, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever, they're like, all right, I'm going to do it. Yep. I'm going to spend the night in my shelter. So these men built their shelters, utilized the techniques that we talked about, utilized the equipment that they brought with them, and then they spent the night in these shelters, and it was cold. Yeah, it was super cold that night. It was windy and cold. And this like, is when, supposedly, although I haven't seen any evidence of it, but supposedly it was sleeting? Yes. Yes, yes. it did sleet that night. Yeah. Um, no well, sympathy for no, twice. Here. So, twice. <laughs> twice. As soon as the, the cloud cover broke, the temperature dropped. That that blanket came off the earth, and it, it dropped below 40, um, which doesn't sound bad for me sitting in a tent with a mummy bag and a whoopee and a snooky cap on. I was pretty okay. There were a couple times I was thinking, I'm going to have to get out there and tell those guys to get under like, proper cover. Yeah. And then I was like, no, I looked at everyone's shelter. Everyone had good, you know, their shelters were blocking the wind. They had set them up the correct direction. They had good construction. They had good insulation from the ground. They had a sleep system that they were, they were utilizing. One individual, again, being that rock star, said, I'm going to test out my little survivor sleeping bag. One of those, like, if you think of the, the foils, uh, yeah. survival blankets, yeah. it's one of those that you can, you know, it's a, an envelope. It's, it's about as thick as a piece of tin foil. Yeah. You look like you use that to bake a potato. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, when I checked on him in the morning, he was like, I'm alive. I got more sleep than I thought I was going to get. I was cold. But I'm alive, yep. and man, I am more confident in my system. Awesome. I have more confidence. Yes. And that's exactly what it was about. It was about gaining that, you know what, I can do this. And not only can I do this, but I can do this with my family. I can do this with my friends. I can help others. Because I know how to take care of myself now. I can take care of my community. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, and you could see that that the little boy, right, 12, that next day, he had, you could just, a more confidence. Oh, like, just the, a, yeah. a confidence level. The glow and, that that boy you had. Know, yeah. Awesome. It, it was amazing to see, you know. So he can take that back to life with him. But, you know, just 
it, you could see it. He was just more confident. Cool. He was actually talking more. Like, it, yeah. it was it was a good experience. Did you give them out those uh, the Mossy Forge those yes. arrows? Yeah, they, they got the uh, the spearheads. Spearheads. Yes. Yeah. So if you spent the night in your shelter, you got a spearhead. He loved that thing. Oh yeah. So even before that, he was whittled down his little stick and he was making like a little spear with it <laughs> and then he got that and it was it was game on that, that yeah. was the best thing yeah. ever awesome so that worked out great and then uh the next day we went into our our final thing of we need to get calories we we need to get um get food and in a survival situation if you don't chris and i talked about this one of the things that was missing from everyone's bag was a survival manual. They make great survival manuals out there. Um, Chris brought a, a good example of the Army military survival manual. Um, we have a couple. We have on, yeah, on the website. Yeah, we've got some on the purchase, website. Yeah. Um, getting something for your area, like I've got a great one for the desert. You know, the Middle East. It does mean some good here, but n- not enough to throw yeah. on my back. Get a survival manual. When you start thinking. Hey, I'm I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm in a stressful, scared environment, and yeah. now you're like trying to remember how oh, I had that class. Mm-hmm. Which one of these mushrooms can I eat? Yeah. We have a couple of those books on, yes. up on the website. Yeah. So you get that that manual, and it, oh, hey, that's what it looks like. Yep. Um, so we talked a little bit about that, but we really focused on the traps. So people, have, you know, oh, setting a snare, you know, okay. What does that mean? Oh, I have 550 cord. I can make a snare. Well, what does that mean? Chris did an excellent job of setting up three different traps and walking the students through how and why. We talked about the, the rule of 10. So you set 10 snares, you're going to get one if you're having a good day. And the benefit of using a snare versus like a figure four or like a, a deadfall trap mm-hmm. um, where, you know, that's using the... the the deadfall is going to crush the animal, which means it's going to rupture the internal organs, mm-hmm. which means if you're not on top of that, yep. you've spoiled the meat. Yeah. And the importance of, you know, you're already in a degraded situation. You don't want to be introducing anything else into that problem set. Um, one of the traps that Chris showed that, man, I, I, I've got to try this out myself, was a, a squirrel trap I had never seen before. And that was pretty awesome. Is that the one you sent the video of? No, that's no, that's the that's, Mojave Scissor. Okay, yeah. okay, gotcha. The, the Mojave Scissor has been one of my favorites for a very, very long time. Um, one of the reasons is, is it's a quick kill trap. Um, it's an almost instant trap, almost an instant kill trap. Uh, the cool thing about that is the animal, one, doesn't suffer. Two, doesn't have time to like sit there and chew its leg off like in a normal snare or something that it, it could try and get away with. Uh, if you think of your old school bear trap, you know, that's mm-hmm. designed to snap onto a limb. Well, yeah, you know, there's a bunch of three-legged coyotes out there. Um, we don't want the, that. There used yeah. to be packs of three-legged, three-legged dogs on Bragg, but yeah. I guess we, we don't need to talk about <laughs> yeah, that. We, we don't want that to happen. What we want is to humanely uh, harvest that animal so that we have those calories. Yeah, It's also baited, so you're not trying to scout the area to kind of find the route and run and things like that passes so you can bring the animal to you versus trying to find the animal first cool which improves the likelihood of you being successful 
Um, it is a, a small game trap. I think a rabbit is pretty much the uh, the top end of what you're going to get with it. If it popped on a like a raccoon or something, that raccoon might you know tear it apart, leave you a nasty uh, email about it in your inbox. Well, I know you guys tried out some stuff for, for Mossy Forge. So yes. I, I talked to Martin, and uh, he saw some of the pictures. So he expressed an interest and want to know if we could go out and replicate it out, out in uh, Colorado. So just as you guys talking, thinking, you know what? I got a lot of prairie dogs, but uh, oh, that, that, that trap yeah. would work great yeah, with yep. those prairie dogs. Yep. Um, that's something that I, I forgot to even talk about. Uh, you brought up those two hatchets that, yeah. that Mossy Forge made. Again, I'm so impressed with his work. I've got my my Gerber survival hatchet uh-huh. that you know that's the same style I've carried for since like 2006. Um, I'm on my second one only because this one's has a little saw inside, so it's it's meeting two purposes, right? Um, that's the only reason why I got another one. And I was happy using that for all week, and then you left, and I started playing around with those hatchets, and that long handle one. Man, that thing is a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. it. And I'm sitting there thinking, weight-wise, there's not much difference. But the capability, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it, it's definitely a, definitely a nice uh, hatchet. He does good work. Well, it, there's a reason why that hatchet, that yeah, the tomahawk is America's blade. Yes, yes, yes. And, I mean, if you guys are in the market, you're looking for um, a hatchet, definitely give him a look. Uh, one of the things I took away talking about wood processing, uh, I hate survival saws. Uh-huh. I have never come across, and this is the problem with, you know, always and never. You're always wrong and never right. Uh, I've never come across a survival saw. I'm like, that is the one. That is worth uh, whatever it costs and the the weight and the inconvenience in my pack. One of the students had a spin saw. Hmm. And... I don't know how much it is. I said I was going to buy one as soon as I got home last night. I didn't. I got a little distracted, you know, playing with <laughs> wife and kids and my puppers. And uh, but I'm buying one of those saws. Yeah, it worked really well. It it worked extremely well. He's had it for a number of years. Has not changed the blade. He takes it camping. I know the guy goes camping a lot, so it's not like yeah, I bought it. I threw it in my pack. And, yeah, yeah. You know, the, he's put used to it. I looked at the saw and there's rust on the blade, you know, and it's still working. I mean, it, it was it was fast, and what what brand is it? Spin. Spin. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so and I think a lot of the stuff out there, same thing as with the the SUT course. Conceptually, a lot of people understood what they they needed to do or how to do something but they just never did it. Yeah. So being able to go out there and actually see the snare in place and how you do it, they're like, oh, now that YouTube video I watched, that makes sense. Or that's how you do that. Because I set them up and you can go you touch it, play with it, reset it. Um, here's how you make the snare loop. You know, here's some of the common issues, you know, making the loop too big. So stuff like that. But yeah, they everybody got something out of that one. We cooked some some volunteers. Yes. <laughs> and that's all we're going to say about that. Yes. So uh th- there was a a good lunch that was had. Uh-huh. Everyone enjoyed that a lot. Uh then I had everyone go and 
talk about their shelters, take the other students around, yep. and they describe to us what they would do again, what they would definitely change. And, you know, we learned so much from each other and from each other's experiences. That was pretty awesome to sit there. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone built either one or two, you know, the shelter that I showed or the other shelter I showed. They built a version of those. And they all did them just slightly different. And it was cool to have them go around like, yeah, I really liked how I did this. And, oh, this, yeah, I definitely need to do that better next time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It was a, a great, great class. And we're doing it again? September. September? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Uh, oh, I forgot. We did one other thing. Well, Chris was preparing the trap line uh, to go out and, and show them. You know, we had a little bit of downtime. So I had everyone bring any. I brought up a bunch of uh, pyro oh, yeah. putty. Okay. Um, yep. some diff- like I brought some blast matches. Uh, different fire starting set setups, and we experimented. We played, and I had everyone like take chunks and and try different things and discuss like why I like this, why I don't like this. I'll, I'll tell you the the pyro putty. I'm that's one of the systems that I'm now looking at replacing some things. Um, I'm a big fan of steel wool because I can get steel wool wet and I can do all that. I can get pyro putty wet. I was really impressed with it. Um, and it's a nice compact can. The problem is that it's seasonal. So you have to. There's make, there's two types, right? Well, there's, there's like multiple. Okay. I've seen four different types. There may be more. Um, there's a summer blend. There is a, a winter blend. And that's because the chemical, you know, the oil that they have in it, if it goes above 70 some odd degrees, the winter blend is going to melt. And now you're going to have a mess in the can. Uh, where the summer blend is made more for that, but it's not going to be as effective in the wet and the cold that you might find yourself in the, the snow and, gotcha. and things like that. Yeah. So, again, we should be checking our bags and changing our bags seasonally. So is that a big deal? No. Um, but that's something to understand. Just because I've got pyro putty doesn't necessarily mean I have that base cover. Yeah. Um, well, we like to change our bags. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned here before, but I, I know in, in the – Seventy-two hour kit class we go what's the first week in april and first week in october is when we go through our kits and, and start changing out clothes and stuff for the more appropriate you know that's more appropriate for the, whatever. Season, the yeah. seasonal environment yeah and, um that was pretty cool because the students brought in some stuff um one of the students had uh fire lube in a tube it was it looked like a, a thick uh toothpaste toothpaste can toothpaste container I could talk today um, and you just squirted out maybe half an inch yeah or just a little dot and it took a spark instantly cool problem with that is it's in a fragile container and so that gives me pause if I have like some sort of pelican case or something hard box mm-hmm. that's in my I might consider having it I don't um, I'm not that well organized in my kit so uh, I need something that comes in its own container, like the pyro putty that's in a hard uh, screw-tight lid uh, for my purposes. But it was cool. I had not seen that. Uh, we had some of the Blackbeard uh, like, uh, char cloth out there. Yeah, I've seen a lot of like ads, I think, on Instagram yeah, for, for that. I've 
I mean, you, I haven't played with it though. You can you can get it wet. It's char cloth. Okay. And you can you can light it. The problem with it is if you're lighting it on its own, it, that's not what it's really intended for. It's really intended to have that put into like the tinder bundle. Yeah, yeah. And then spark into that. And instead of trying to catch the tinder bundle, you're catching that char cloth, and it catches a light, and then yeah, lights yeah, your yeah. tinder bundle. So we, we were able to do that. It was pretty awesome. You know, that like half hour old Chris was running around uh, like a madman trying to set traps um, that we were able to learn from one another and experiment with these different things. Uh, I was excited because I hadn't tried the pyro putty to a point that I was like, I am going to change the way I carry things. After that 30 minutes, I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to change. The ultra light that they have, which I believe is their like multi-seasonal, like mm-hmm. pretty much anything we face here in Pennsylvania, you can get away with. I think that's going to go in my bag. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, I think you summed it up right while we're out there. You called it the uh, a lab. Yeah. Right. So we're teaching you stuff, but at the same time, it's that environment where you can bring what you have and we're going to test it. So you can know, hey, there's a flaw in this or I need to look at replacing that and that guy had something that was way better than this, yeah. you know, so I can kind of go through and, and replace that with this, or this really worked. I'm definitely keeping that. Well, when it comes to, to those bags or to uh, those 72-hour kits, that's so much of it is personal. There is no cookie-cut solution for yep. everybody. Yeah, and the one guy showed up. He's like, I can't wait for you to go through my stuff and tell me what I don't need. Well, I'm not going to tell you what you do and don't need. I'll evaluate what you have, but yeah. I'm not. that's not my decision. Yeah. You know, like all our classes we run, I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm giving you the tools so you can make those determinations because yep. it's, it's your fight. Exactly. Well, with, uh, with Mossy Forge interested in bringing us out there to Colorado, and I also thought my buddy Darren, who's up in Alaska, Ooh. And he's he's every bit the outdoorsman. Um, that'd be interesting to see if we couldn't maybe set something up with him and go up and oh, doing this kind of course in Alaska weather. for yeah yeah. Well, you can do the cold weather. I'll, I'll do it. You know, in the in the summer up there when it's maybe a little bit nicer. <laughs> we'll we'll give you December. Okay, we'll do two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we didn't do snow caves out there uh, since well we didn't have snow. Yeah. Uh, I hate snow caves. I've spent a night in a snow yep. cave. Well, I don't want to spend a night in a snow I was, cave. I was on that mountain team in, in, in fifth group, so we, we did a little bit of that. Yeah, it's it's not fun. But there are some good techniques and things you can do that I was ignorant to until I got on that team. And those snow caves, if you know what you're doing, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're pretty impressive. easy to, yeah. Yeah, to set up and do. It's one of those things. Um, I read about it. Uh-huh. I saw things. I've seen people do it until I spent the night in one. And yes, yes, I know I can survive. Uh-huh. But even with the like best equipment that we could, it was still a big challenge. And man, I again, I learned a lot about myself that night. <laughs> well, any uh, last thoughts or, or closing uh, ideas? So I did look it up. It's uh S-V-E-N saw, and it looks like they're about $45. Oh, that's okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. 
that is going in the shopping cart tomorrow. Cool. Again, Chris, thank you for coming up here and being my uh, my assistant. And even though I hazed you by dumping a canteen cup of water on your fire. I'm pretty sure I also dumped that tarp yeah. into my chair. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, so I pull out the chair to sit mm-hmm. down, and he's like, oh, man, you're the only one here with a dry chair. And five minutes later, it was the, what? the tarp magically, magically uh-huh. leaked yeah. onto my chair. On on that, we were down at Walmart, and I was like, Chris, did you bring a chair with you? And he's like, no, I didn't bring a chair. I well, like, he said I'm, survival, so I'm like, I'm a carbon out of a that, stump. That's right. I'm going to buy you a chair because I know... Like me, you have bad knees. <laughs> and uh, it'll be nice for you to have a chair around the campfire. And I appreciated it. <laughs> Even being wet. Well, thank you, Chris and Chris. Uh, and thank you for, for listening. And if you guys have questions about this, go ahead and contact us. Uh, email us, call us, whatever. Reach out to us. We're happy to answer those questions. And Again, these, these classes are already up on, on the website. If you're interested, go ahead, sign up, and it's it's a good time. I look forward to seeing you all yep, out here. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Stay safe. Look what I have created!